Lord, be with us now as we hear from you in your word, as we're talking about prayer especially. Help this not just be mere words. Help this not just be something, Father, we understand more, but help us during this time and by the end of this time to be people who want to talk to you more and pray more. We need you, Jesus. We love you. Thank you that you love us. It's in your good name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning once again, church. As always, it's a joy to be with you, worshiping with you together in song, listening to the word, and now digging into the word deeply together. And if you're here for the first time or one of your first times here, once again, we just want to say we're so glad you're with us this morning. Well, this morning in our studies, we've said we are continuing our series, Being a Jesus-Centered Church, Being a Jesus-Centered Church. In week one, we saw the foundation that we hear from Jesus in his word. That was week one. Then last week, in week two, we looked into the center of what it means to be a Jesus-centered church. We looked into the gospel. And if you remember, we saw that Jesus Christ is the answer for us individually and for the whole world. The gospel, the news of Christianity, is the news of something that's been happening. That in the past, everything got messed up, that we got messed up. But then Jesus Christ came, he lived, he died, he rose, he reigns, and he's coming back again. All that so we could be reconciled to God if we trust in him, but then also so that this whole world and universe can be made right again. So that's the sum of our series thus far. We've seen the Bible, foundational, the gospel, which is central, and now this week we're going to build upon these two things and talk about prayer. Talk about prayer. And this is important if we want to be a Jesus-centered church. Prayer is important for two quick reasons. The first, we saw in our text that Steve just read. Just look down at the first verse one more time real quick. Not even the whole verse, just the beginning. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. We'll stop there for now. And we don't want to overlook that fact just in itself, right? Jesus himself prayed. And he taught his disciples to pray. So first and foremost, if we want to be a Jesus-centered church, we also need to be people who pray. Jesus prayed and taught us to pray. That's the first obvious reason, but there's also a second reason. And it connects to so much of what we said in this series thus far. Think about it this way. If the Bible is hearing from God and his word, And if the gospel is all about being reconciled back to God, to being in a right relationship with God, then it makes sense that this week, our response to those things, to hearing from God and being in relationship with God, is communicating with God. In prayer, is us talking to God. And that, in essence, is what prayer is. We're reconciled to God in the gospel, and so we hear from him in his word, and we speak back to him in prayer. And in fact, if you look at our text again in Luke chapter 11, it could be, and I only honestly say it could be, that there's a connection here maybe in Luke chapter 10 and Luke chapter 11, connecting the word and prayer. Notice how Luke uh, chapter 10 ends. Just look down at your Bible. Look at that last story that ends Luke chapter 10. It's that story of Martha and Mary. And you might know the story. It's something like this. Jesus enters into their house. Right? Jesus enters into their house, and there's Mary and Martha there. And Martha goes about serving and doing and serving and serving. And Mary decides to not really serve, but instead sits and listens to Jesus' word. And Martha goes to Jesus, expecting Jesus to be on her side, saying, Jesus, look, Mary's not serving like me. And to her surprise, 
Jesus answers her, and this is the last verse of chapter 10, saying that Mary has actually chosen the better portion. That the better thing is to actually listen to Jesus and his word. And one wonders then, if it's a coincidence, that after talking about listening to God in his word, listening to Jesus, the better portion, Luke then transitions flawlessly in chapter 11 to the topic of prayer. We all know that in other places of the Bible, it's very clear that a relationship with God is one of the word and prayer. And so very well could be that Luke finishes the story in chapter 10, talking about listening to Jesus' word, and then he starts talking about prayer. But whether Luke intended that or not, it's still true. The point still holds. Our best portion is to listen to the Lord in his word, but then also we respond and speak to him in prayer. So that said, we're going to look at Luke 11 and talk about prayer. Specifically, as an outline of our time together, we're going to discuss three simple questions about prayer. Three simple questions. They're simple, and they're, they're, but I hope they're helpful because they'll help us understand prayer a little bit more. But even more than that, our goal is that at the end of this, we become more prayerful people. So three questions. The first, the first question we're going to ask is simply, what is prayer? What is prayer? Second, then we'll follow this by asking, how do we pray? What is prayer? How do we pray? And then third, we'll ask, what do we pray for? What is prayer? How do we pray? And what do we pray for? So we'll begin with the question, what is prayer? For this, we're just going to look at verse 2. Verse 2, we'll read it again, but to be honest, before we read it, we read it. I just want to let you know, this perhaps is my single favorite verse in the Bible to explain what prayer is. So simple and yet so profound. We'll see it. Let's just read verse 2 one more time. If you want to look at your Bible, verse 2. And Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. So here's why this verse is so helpful. In that short little verse, even just a few words there, we have from Jesus the very foundations of what prayer is. He explains what it is simply, but in its very essence. And you can see it in just three words in verse 2. Just three words. The first word is the most obvious, just the word you. It's simple, right? The word you. Stick with me. Jesus assumes that you, that I, that we're subjects in this act of praying. You're a person, you're a personality, made in the image of God, and so part of prayer is you doing something, you. That's the most obvious. But then second, this verse also teaches us that in prayer, there's another person involved. And here you see it in the word Father. You see that in the word Father. So it's not just you being involved. There's another person, Father. And I do think it's significant that Jesus here in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 and elsewhere in the New Testament addresses God not just as God, but as Father. And of course, you can't address God as God, but when you address the person of the Father, it makes it more personal. You really get across the idea of his personality when you call him Father. And so thus far, what is prayer? It involves you and I, you, a person, a personality, doing something, and it also involves God, personality, who's also there. So the question is, what's this third aspect of prayer? And here's why I love this verse so much. So what connects you and I and God? What's the verb that makes this thing that's about to happen prayer? Look at verse 2. 
So simple. Jesus says, when you pray, say. Say. That's it. It's that simple. And I know, I know it sounds simple. We just stop at say. Before we even get to what he says, he says, when you pray, say. Now, don't let that pass you by because this word say here that he decides to use is perhaps one of the simplest words in the whole entire Bible. It literally is the word that's used all the time when people are just speaking to each other. It's the word lego. It's used in the New Testament hundreds of times, and it was used over 1,300 times in the Old Testament when they were translating it, and that's because it is the most basic word for what it means to speak to somebody else. It just means say. When you pray, say. And the reason I want us to focus on that is because although this word is simple, the fact that Jesus uses it here when describing prayer is at the same time quite profound. When you pray, say. That's the verb. Say. This is what prayer is. And it's profound because think of it this way. Perhaps it could have been that if the living God wanted to be talked to, if, that if we wanted to talk to the living God, I mean, he's God, that it might have been really difficult. Right? It might have made sense that it would have been hard for little sinners like us to talk to the living God. We could have thought that if we really wanted to communicate with him, I mean, we, really small, insignificant creatures, wanted to communicate with him, if, if that was the case, maybe we'd have to do something really fancy. We'd have to talk really in lofty terms. Or at least, we'd have to talk to him with a different sort of verb than how we talk to one another. But then, Jesus shocks us with the simple, when you pray, say. Just speak. And that means that when we talk to the living God, we don't go to him with lofty, fancy speech. We don't go to him trying to figure out a new way to communicate. Instead, it's the same verb we use to talk to anybody else. When you pray, say. It's that, it's that simple. So what is prayer? Well, now we've seen our answer. First, it's us, and then it's also God. And the thing that makes this prayer is we speak. It's us speaking to God. Now, before we move on to our next question and kind of talk more about the how to pray, let's just look at two brief applications that I hope will be helpful on this, on this idea of just when you pray, say. And the first one's this. Since Jesus and the Bible elsewhere tells us that prayer is, in essence, just speaking to God, I just encourage you not to overcomplicate prayer. Don't overcomplicate prayer. Because I think this is often what we can do with prayer. We can often do this. Maybe, perhaps it's because we're just confused on what prayer is. Perhaps it's because we kind of want it to be a little more complicated or we like the lofty religious feeling of it. Whatever it is, we can often complicate what it means to pray. And if we do that, we not only go against the simplicity of what Jesus teaches us here, but that will make us pray a lot less. It's a grace brothers and sisters, that God made it so easy for us to pray. All we do is speak to him. And so we speak to him in the same way we speak like to anyone else. When we pray, we say. That's the first application. Don't overcomplicate prayer. And connected with this, the second, after seeing what Jesus teaches us here, I encourage us all not to over-spiritualize prayer. 
Not to over-spiritualize it. Now, here's what I mean. Of course, in one sense, praying to God is a very spiritual thing. I mean, God is spirit. And if you're talking to the living God, it is a spiritual thing. But when I say don't over-spiritualize it, I mean don't make it something so otherworldly that it's in a totally different category than how you talk to everyone else. Because this can happen too. People can think of prayer as some fancy meditative state or some special and indescribable experience. And so while they might find it relatively easy just to talk to somebody else, it can become therefore really hard to spend time talking to God. But that would be over-spiritualizing what Jesus teaches us here. He doesn't say, when you pray, first go and seek to get in some sort of trance. Or when you pray, first seek some otherworldly feeling, and then it becomes real prayer. He doesn't say, when you pray, use some fancy words. No, he just says, when you pray, say. So don't overcomplicate it, and don't over-spiritualize prayer. So that's what prayer is. God, us, and us speaking to God. Leads us to our second question. So now we're asking, okay, that's what prayer is, but how do we do it? How do we pray? For this, once again, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. If you want to look down at your Bible, verses 1 through 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So the question we're asking now is the question the disciples were asking. How do we pray? Lord, teach us to pray. There's a few things you see there from Jesus. The main thing, of course, is he gives them content to pray, but we'll answer that in our third question when we ask, what do we pray for? But before we do that, I want us to see other things that Jesus says to us concerning the how to pray, because they can help us see how we can pray. And again, first, how do we pray? The first uh, application we see is just in that first, that word again, that word say. And I bet at this point you didn't think we'd spend so much time on that little word, that word say. But the word is helpful concerning the how we pray as well, to start, because the word most basically does mean to say, to speak. The word does mean to speak. And so when we talk about how to pray, this means that the most basic and natural way to pray to God is actually to speak to God. And I mean speaking out loud. It's the most basic way. As we're going to see in a second, you don't need to pray out loud in prayer, but I do think that's the most natural and easiest way to pray is to speak out loud. I think perhaps if you haven't really done that much in your life, that will help you do it more and more naturally. And here's why this matters. So many of us are taught or grow up learning that we pray mainly in our heads. In our heads. And again, there is a place for that in the Bible, but how many, ask yourself this, how many normal conversations do you have with people in your heads? (laughs) You never do. And there's no wonder then that we find prayer so hard, that we fall asleep while praying, or that we find it really difficult to think about praying for any amount of time. If we're mainly praying in our heads, that's such an awkward way to communicate. And we don't usually do that. 
And so perhaps the best and most basic thing you can take away even from this whole morning is you go home and frequently pray out loud. And if we're honest, I mean, that can radically change your life. It radically changed my life. When I was in college, I, I think I'd pray to my head almost all the time when I was alone growing up. And then I just, somebody taught something like this. And I started praying just out loud, even if not very loud, on my own. It allowed me to pray more, and I still do it that way. Often in our heads, it's good. But praying out loud just makes it more natural. And I encourage you to do it. Not because I do it, because that's the most basic meaning of the word say. And even if that means that you whisper when you pray, because maybe there's somebody around you you don't want to hear what you're praying, which is somewhat okay, you know, at least just pray in a natural way where you speak out loud. You don't need to. We'll see that in a second. But it's very helpful, because that's how we usually speak. But on the other hand, along with this, we also should point out that because Jesus uses that simple word, say, it's such a generic word, and so that word can also mean other things that just imply the idea of communicating, just the idea of communicating. So for example, although the most basic way to say might be speaking out loud, you could also speak in your head to God, we'll see that in a second from the Bible, or you could communicate by God to God by writing things down, by writing things down. And for support of this option, just look at the Bible itself. The Bible itself. There's many prayers in this book, whether in the Old Testament or even the New Testament letters. Often people are writing in the Bible and they're praying to God. They're saying to God through writing. Through writing. And there's no need for us to assume that every time they wrote down a prayer, they also spoke out loud. They might have. But also, it's very clear in the Bible that writing down words to God is itself a way to communicate to God. So you can pray by journaling, by writing. So that's the how concerning the mode of communication. We pray by speaking in our heads, out loud, or in writing. And the same variation goes for the length of how long we communicate with God. Here in Luke 11, you see somewhat of a shorter prayer, a few lines. Other places of the Bible, as you might know, we have chapters that are entire prayers. And then we have other places in the Bible where we hear that people prayed for hours and Jesus even prayed all night. So the point is when you pray, say, but it doesn't necessarily need to be for a certain length of time. Now it's true that if you do spend a longer time, it's great because you're spending more time with the Lord. That's huge. But it's also true that our Lord loves quick sayings. Quick, quick moments where you speak to him, even if it's just in your head, in the midst of life, in the midst of everything going on and coming at you if you decide to speak to him. And for example on this, there's a great verse in Nehemiah 2, Nehemiah 2, that proves what we're talking about. You're welcome to turn with me there if you want to Nehemiah 2. We're only going to be there for a couple minutes though, so you don't have to and you can just listen. So Nehemiah 2, and the reason why this is so helpful is because here we see an example both of praying in your head and an example of a really, really quick prayer. As for context in Nehemiah 2, Nehemiah is about to be in the presence of the king of Persia. The king of Persia, it's a really important conversation, and he's about to ask the king of Persia if he can go help his fellow Israelites and build a wall. So it's a big conversation, and here's what happens. This is in Nehemiah 2, verses 1 through 5. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, 
Why is your face sad, seeing that you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And here's the important verses, four and five. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. So notice specifically what happens between verses 4 and 5. In verse 4, this is the king of Persia, the mighty king of Persia. The king asks Nehemiah, what are you requesting? And then in verse 5, Nehemiah responds to the king. So the king questions, Nehemiah responds, but in between the king's question and Nehemiah's response, at the end of verse four, Nehemiah writes, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Now that must have been a really fast prayer, and it must have been a prayer in his head. Between the king's question and his response, he prays to the God of heaven. But here's what's important. The Bible says that's certainly still prayer. There's a quick momentary praying in his head, but it was still prayer. So now turn back with me to Luke chapter 11. So how do we pray? We pray by saying, meaning we communicate, often in speech out loud, but it can also be in writing, it can be in our head, and it can be for various lengths of time, even in a very brief moment. But finally, before we move on, I want us to see one more aspect of the how from Luke 11 here. And for this, look again at verse 2, where Jesus instructs us to pray, saying, Father, hallowed be your name. Our Father, hallowed be your name. So here, notice who's being addressed. Again, it's the Father, and we already talked about that. The Father is personal. But I want to also point this out one more time, because I do think this hints at us that we also, when we're praying to God, can pray to the other persons of the Trinity as well the other three persons who are part of the singular name of God. We can pray to the Father, to Jesus, and to the Spirit. And we see this elsewhere too. In the Bible, the Father's prayed to specifically, and we see prayers to Jesus. And that makes sense, because when we're praying to God, God, remember, is three persons. And since prayer is a personal communication to God, we can pray to the specific persons in the Godhead. And I bring this up because... This, brothers and sisters, is an old, proven way of teaching prayer that has been taught for hundreds of years. Praying to God, but specifically praying to the Father, praying to the Son, praying to the Spirit. And doing so personalizes prayer. It helps organize our prayers, but it also helps us direct specific prayers and thanks and requests to specific persons in the Trinity. Because once again, remember, when we're talking about God and the Trinity, we're not talking about some just abstract theological concept. We're talking about the living God exists and he is three persons. And so it's helpful for us to talk to him personally like we talk to any other person. And therefore we could each talk, we could talk to each person in there thanking them and asking them for specific things. For example, you can thank the father for for his grace towards you and the gospel for sending his son for his gifts in your life. You can thank Christ for dying on the cross for his praying for you. Thank the spirit for his comfort and his presence. Again, this helps us treat God personal as the three persons that he is. 
I will add, though, this caveat, however, and this is kind of a side note, but as I was preparing this, talking about praying to the persons of God, I just want to be as biblical as possible, and the caveat is this. When we are, though, talking to each person of the Trinity, I just want to let you know that the Father and Jesus are talked to many times in prayer in the Bible, but it is an interesting fact that the Holy Spirit is never prayed to in the Bible. Not even once. Not in the Old Testament, where he's talked about as the Spirit of the Lord, nor in the New Testament. He's mentioned a lot, and he clearly is God, but he's not prayed to once. And so there is a sort of question that we have to ask. Should he, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, be addressed in prayer, since he's not once addressed in Scripture? And it is a, it is a tough question, because on the one hand, he is totally God. And so I do believe we can talk to him. He's personal, and he is totally God. He's Christ's and the Father's presence here with us. And he's personal, so again, we can talk to him. And yet, I bring this up, because I think the fact that he, the Holy Spirit, who's the one who inspired Scripture, made it that he was never addressed in prayer in Scripture, should be a little instructive to us. It it does show us exactly what Jesus himself teaches elsewhere, that the Spirit exists not to be all about the Spirit, but the Spirit exists to magnify Christ. It's exactly what Jesus taught. And so kind of putting it all together, if our prayers become more to the Spirit, or if our Christianity in general becomes more all about the Spirit and Spirit-centered rather than Jesus-centered, we have gotten off the biblical track. And so I think combining all that, it means that we should probably mainly pray to the Father and the Son, thanking them for the Spirit's presence and work. Though sometimes, of course, we can pray to the Father, the Son, and sometimes the Spirit. But that's kind of a side note. The main part is that we make prayer personal. Addressing God personally as the Father, the Son, and sometimes the Spirit. And if we just pray to God, that's kind of our point, if we just pray to God, we will miss that. Because God is three persons. So that's the how. How do we pray? We pray by saying, often out loud, because that's most natural, but sometimes in writing, sometimes in our head, for various amounts of time, praying to the Father, the Son, and sometimes the Spirit. Which finally leads to our last question this morning. So we've asked, what is prayer? We've asked, how do we pray? And now we'll ask, what do we pray for? Now we'll look at verses 2 through 4 again. Verses 2 through 4. Look down in your Bibles. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. So this isn't a sermon on the Lord's Prayer. This is a similar prayer to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. So we won't go into detail to each one of those, though they're beautiful prayers. Instead, what I want to do here is just give you a broad overview and categories of what we pray for in our prayers, categories that you see in what Jesus instructed for us here. And the categories are very simple, simple, but I hope they're helpful. When we talk to God, we talk to God first about him, about God. Second, we talk to God about ourselves. And third, we talk to God about others. Simple, but helpful. First, you see it in our text, as for God, You see it right right away in verse 2. It's the first thing Jesus prays for. Father, hallowed be your name. He prays for God's name to be glorified, for his kingdom to come. And praying 
to God, about God, is helpful for us to remember because we often, if we admit it, go past that stage and rush on to pray about ourselves and others. We know we're talking to God, but we can rush past him and then want to talk to him about other things. And so it's helpful for us to remember what Jesus taught us here. It's so good for us to pray to God, to talk to God about God. Praying for his glory to spread all over the world. Praying for his kingdom to come. Thanking him for his grace towards us. Thanking him for his gospel, for his promises. All of that. And again, it's so easy for us to forget. But that's category number one. We pray to God about God. Talk to him about him. So this is the second category about what we pray. And that's for ourselves. That's for ourselves. You see this in verses 3 and 4. And specifically, you see really there in verse 3 and then in verse 4, two different categories for how we pray about ourselves. First, we see that we pray for our creaturely needs, our creaturely life, if you want to call it that. You see that in verse 3. Give us each day our daily bread. And by creaturely needs, we're talking about just the things we need as human beings. Things like food, shelter, health, financial help, strength. We can thank God for these things and we can ask God for these things. Both are good. And we want to take a second here and also say, this is a place where maybe you're tempted to over-spiritualize prayer. To think that God really can't care about these little things in my uh, creaturely life, but he does. The Bible says he made us. He knows our frame. And he knows and loves us the way we are. So we can ask God for our creaturely needs. But then also... Notice in our text that we shouldn't just pray for our creaturely needs, our creaturely life. We should also pray for our spiritual life. Deeper things. You see this in verse 4, in the prayer against sin. And I think this, if we're honest, is probably what most of us need to work on more in our prayers. It's more natural for us, with things coming at us in our life, to pray for creaturely needs, pray for health and energy and financial support. It's more natural to do that. But it's more unnatural and it's more difficult for us to focus and really pray for things like to fight against sin or to confess sin or to pray for humility or to pray for more joy in Christ. But if we're honest with what the Bible teaches us, it's those things that are exemplified in the prayers of the Bible more frequently for us, these deeper spiritual needs. And so I encourage us all to pray more about those things. Don't just pray for material, creaturely needs for yourself and pray for deep, long-term, spiritual things. Pray that you become more humble. You know, pray that you have more joy in Jesus. Pray that you have more of a desire for his word. Pray that you love Jesus a year from now way more than you love Jesus right now. Now, the reason those prayers are hard is also because those prayers don't have immediate, obvious answers and applications. But those are also the prayers that produce long-term benefits and fruit in our lives. So we pray about God, about ourselves, for creature needs, spiritual needs. And the third category, of course, is that we pray for others. See this in our text in verses 3 and 4 with specifically the idea of us. It's not just give me daily bread, forgive my sins, it's give us. Give us. And the point is that we should pray, of course, not just thinking about God and ourselves, but thinking about others. This makes sense because Christianity is not just a you and God thing alone. Throughout the whole Bible, it's about us, his people, his world. And the same goes here. We pray for others concerning creaturely things, health, support, strength, everything concerning life like that. But then we also pray for deeper spiritual things. 
And we can do this in concentric circles, right? We can pray for ourselves, then we can pray for our spouses, our kids, and then keep going out. You can pray for your extended family, pray for this church, for your friends, pray for this city, pray for this state, this country, and then pray for the ends of the earth. And for all of that, you pray for creaturely things that come up, but also deeper spiritual reality, that people embrace Jesus, that the nations embrace Jesus, some nations even for the first time. So the point is that we pray for others, for creaturely things, and deep spiritual needs. So that's what we pray for. When we speak, very basically, we pray concerning God, ourselves, and others. So now we've answered our three questions. Our three questions. What is prayer? It's us saying to God. How do we do it? Often by speaking out loud, but we can also pray in our heads and writing for various lengths, and we can specifically address the person's of the Trinity. And third, what do we pray for? For various things. But the basic categories, if it's helpful, is God, ourselves, and others. But that then leads us to conclude. And to do so, I want to conclude the way Jesus concluded in his teaching on prayer here. So in verses four, you notice he gives us this summative Lord's prayer. But then notice what he says to his disciples after. It's interesting because remember, in verse two, they're asking, Lord, how do we pray? Lord, teach us to pray. And he kind of does teach them even a model prayer in verses 2 through 4, as you see. But then what's unique is he decides to keep going on in verses 5 through 13. And what he does there is he doesn't mainly teach them how to pray anymore. That's there a little bit. But mainly, verses 5 through 13 exists because Jesus is trying to incentivize them to now actually go and pray. That's his point. His point is that God listens God will answer, and now go and do it. Be incentivized to go and do it. So we're going to read these again. I'm not going to dig into them too much, but hear how Jesus is incentivizing us now to go and pray. Verses 5 through 13. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give you anything because he is your friend, his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, Finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will instead give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So you can just feel how Jesus is incentivizing them, incentivizing us to pray. The story illustrates that God will listen that God will answer. And that's Jesus' concluding point, and it's our point to conclude here too. Now, Lord willing, we know a little bit more about prayer, and hopefully some of this has been helpful, but brothers and sisters, now we must go and be people of prayer. Individually, we must go and pray. We must say to God, speaking out loud, writing in your head, whatever it takes, be a person of prayer. But then also corporately, As a church, 
We need to be a church of prayer. I mean, notice the end of verse 13. It all ends with those who ask him. Jesus assumes that there will be people, groups of people, plural, those who talk to God, who ask. And so our hope is that becomes us as a church. We should do this together. Pray with each other over the phone, before and after services, whenever. We should be people of prayer. But that's also why Steve announced that we're going to be having a prayer gathering this upcoming Friday evening here at the church. From 7 to 8 p.m., it'll be the beginning of, Lord willing, many prayer gatherings, but we're just going to do it this Friday for now. But I really encourage you to come out, and we're just going to pray. I'll lead us through scripture, because I always think it's helpful to pray while hearing from God and his word, but mainly it'll be a time for us to gather and pray about many different things, because the Lord wants us not just to be individuals of prayer, but people of prayer. So again, this Friday evening here in the sanctuary from 7 to 8 p.m., we really encourage you to come. But that, brothers and sisters, is prayer. So bringing the whole Jesus-centered church series together thus far, we're Jesus-centered, when we're a church that hears from Jesus in his word, when we're people who trust what he accomplished for us in the gospel, and now third, as a result of those two things, we're Jesus-centered when we speak to him in prayer individually and corporately. And again, just a reminder, Jesus says it's not that hard. When you pray, say. It's that simple. But let's be a people who now actually go and do it. And when we do so, I believe we'll see that there's a unique joy in being a people who consistently talk to our Savior. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's do it. And then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. Jesus, it is such a privilege that we get to talk to you. That we, although we're sinful and small, get to talk to the God of the universe, to you, Father, to you, Son, to you, Spirit. So I pray, Lord, for each and every one of us that we don't just hear a message like this and then just go and not be changed, but by your Spirit, Christ, we may truly be more of a people of prayer because of what you've taught us here. And I do pray, Christ, if there, anyone, if there is anyone here this morning who, even through hearing this or hearing about the gospel last week or anything at all, just realizes, Christ, that they don't really know you and trust you right now, that they may be compelled to do so, that they may believe your gospel and trust in you for forgiveness and joy forever. But for us, your people, we do thank you for the opportunity to pray, for the opportunity to be your sons and daughters, Father. Help us to now go and actually do it day in and day out and as a church. We love you, Jesus. It's in your good name we pray. Amen.